Thank you for joining us for the Rising Strong Message series at Journey Church in Bozeman, Montana. In this series, we're exploring how God's grace meets shame and vulnerability in our lives. Let's tune in. There's no greater threat to the critics and cynics and fear mongers than those of us who are willing to fall because we have learned how to rise. With skin knees and bruised hearts, we choose owning our stories of struggle over hiding, over hustling, over pretending. When we deny our stories, they define us. When we run from struggle, we are never free. So we turn towards truth and look it in the eye. We craft love from heartbreak, compassion from shame, grace from disappointment, courage from failure. Showing up is our power. Story is our way home. Truth is our song. We are the brave and brokenhearted. We are rising strong. So we've been talking about rising strong. We've been working our way through Brene Brown's book. Today we're going to land this series. And in order for us to get where we need to go today, we need to start with Jesus Christ who in every sense of the word was and is quite a revolutionary. About 2,000 years ago in Jesus' day when he was walking planet earth live and in the flesh, deep down in the guts of his Jewish contemporaries, not a very real, like tangible hunger, a tangible thirst, this longing for something more, something different, something better, a a longing for a way of life that had eluded humanity since very near the beginning of all time. What was that longing? Well, it was the longing for something called the kingdom of God. It was the longing for this realm, the kingdom of God, where God's power and God's presence and God's reign were directly available to anybody and everybody who wants them. Anybody and everybody could just walk right in and have access to God's power, God's presence, and God's reign. And this seemingly elusive kingdom of God, it really was Jesus' primary concern. It's the real reason that Jesus Christ came to planet Earth. Mark 1, 14 and 15 is the first announcement by Jesus about why in the world he was even here on the planet. Look at this text with me. Then Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news where he preached God's good news. And then what follows is what he actually preached. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Now you notice in that text, there's not a mention anywhere of any minimum entrance requirements to get into heaven when you die. None whatsoever. Jesus wasn't out preaching the gospel of all you got to do is pray a little prayer in church one time and you're in. That wasn't it at all. Not even close. Instead, Jesus came proclaiming this reality. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. So repent. Turn from your sins. Believe the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the real, true gospel that Jesus came preaching. The revolutionary 
Jesus Christ. That's his message. And he talked about it all the time with everybody he was with. He told stories about it. He used it to illustrate different things. He talked about it all the time. One day, as a matter of fact, Jesus was teaching his followers. And he was teaching them how to pray. Here's what he said, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Pray like this. It's like a little tutorial on prayer. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. This is familiar, isn't it? May your name be kept holy. Look, may your kingdom come soon. And may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here comes Jesus Christ, this radical revolutionary, and he comes proclaiming the gospel that the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins. Believe this good news. And he says, now look, pray, you who follow me, you pray that the kingdom of God will come soon, really soon. Pray, in other words, that stuff down here works like stuff up there works. Wouldn't that be amazing if stuff down here worked like stuff up there? That's the idea about the kingdom of God coming down here to planet earth. So there's people who were around with Jesus back then. They heard him talk all about the kingdom of God like he talked about it. They're nodding their heads in agreement with him. Yep, okay, I get it. I think, they said. And they've got this gnawing desire, this longing And they're living right alongside Jesus Christ. And they're hungry and they're thirsty for the kingdom of God to come right here, right now. God's power, God's presence, God's reign to be directly available to anybody who wants them. But they also, in the midst of all of that, they had this really burning question too. You know what it was? It was this. So how's it gonna be brought to earth? How is God's kingdom gonna be brought to earth? It's a fantastic question. Sure, folks heard Jesus announce that the kingdom of God is at hand, it's near, repent of your sins, believe the good news. They're nodding their heads, okay. Jesus says, pray for the kingdom of God to come soon, okay, more nodding of the head. But then they're left, aren't they, sort of scratching their heads, going, how? How does stuff down here gonna work like stuff up there? I don't get that part, Jesus, they proclaimed. Which is a reasonable concern. I don't get it. And in the absence of a satisfactory answer from Jesus himself, there are some who sought to form their own responses to this burning question. How's it gonna happen? A guy named John Ortberg lays these out for us in a really handy, helpful way. First of all, there were these guys called the zealots, men and women, who their way of bringing the kingdom of God to earth was via revolt. They're a political party. Their chief method of bringing the kingdom of God was by seeking to overthrow Roman rule of Israel by any means possible, including violence. Some people called them freedom fighters. Others called them terrorists. It just depended on your viewpoint. Jesus Christ, however, who was the chief architect, chief bringer of the kingdom of God, he didn't align himself with the zealots. That's not my way. Jesus said. So there were these other folks. They were called the Essenes. Their way of bringing the kingdom of God was to withdraw. Now we don't read about the Essenes in the Bible, yet the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are amongst our earliest copies of scripture, they're found in a community probably composed of the Essenes. And the Essenes' view was that everything in this world had become corrupted. Sound familiar? Everything in this world had become tainted. They included, yes, Roman rule over Israel as part of this corruption, but they also held the view that even the Jewish temple system had become corrupt, had become impure. 
For them, the only legitimate response to their nation's spiritual malaise was to withdraw from culture completely, devote themselves to a life of utter purity. And for the Essenes, purity looked like them sleeping in caves, living in caves. They were way outside of the community, living in caves. Purity as well looked for them like refusing to go to the bathroom all day on the Sabbath day. How does that work? I have no idea. They said it would be impure for us to relieve ourselves on the Sabbath day. They as well performed ritual purification baths before every meal. They didn't just wash their hands before every meal. They performed a ritual purification bath before they ate every single meal. They said, look, we're the sons of light. Everyone else is the son of darkness. They held this position that their purity would somehow persuade God to destroy everyone else, all of their enemies, and bring the kingdom of God to planet earth through their set-apart, super, sacred, holy community. And Jesus Christ, the chief architect, remember, chief bringer of the kingdom of God, notice he didn't align himself with the Essenes. That's not the way of my kingdom either, he said. And then there was another group, the Sadducees. Their method was to just assimilate The Sadducees, in all candor, they were the wussiest of all three groups. Their concerns were strictly pragmatic. They didn't ascribe to a literal view of the supernatural. They didn't believe in angels, didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're concerned with right here, right now. That caused them to take a view of the Roman occupiers that if you can't beat them, well, what do you do? You join them. That's exactly what they did. They joined them. They colluded with the tax collectors. They paid strict allegiance to Caesar. When positions of power opened up in Israel, they were the ones who received them. Ever heard the phrase, when in Rome, you do as the Romans do? That describes the Sadducees to a T. That was them. And while Jesus Christ was indeed a revolutionary, all three of those groups were looking for the wrong kind. They were on the wrong road to the revolution that Jesus intended to bring which was a revolution of the kingdom of God breaking into this world. And because that was the case, Jesus found himself quite at odds with all three of those groups. You know the story. One day Jesus had a Roman soldier, it was a centurion, the scripture calls him, approach Jesus. You can read the whole account in Luke 7. But this Roman soldier approaches Jesus asking for his help, Jesus' help, with the Roman soldier's slave who had fallen severely ill on the verge of dying. And do you recall Jesus' reply to a Roman soldier? Do you remember this? I haven't seen anyone in Israel with such great what? Faith. I haven't seen anyone in Israel, this super holy religious land, God's chosen people. I haven't seen anybody in Israel with such great faith in God as this Roman centurion. Which one of the three groups did that really upset? The zealots. The zealots. Not to mention, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, look, I know there's this law that says a Roman soldier can make you, any Israelite citizen, carry their gear, their heavy battle gear for a mile, right? You know this rule as well. You've heard of this. And here's what Jesus says. If that happens to you, if a Roman soldier makes you carry his gear for one mile, don't just go one mile, you go two You go two miles for the Roman soldier. Suffice it to say, the zealots were not putting Jesus' admonition to go the extra mile on any of their greeting cards. They're very upset with Jesus. But Jesus didn't care. His message to them was really clear. You're wrong. 
My kingdom isn't gonna come through violence. There is another way I intend for my kingdom to come to planet Earth. And it wasn't any secret as well that Jesus like touched people who had leprosy. He hung out with prostitutes and adulterers. Jesus even dared to hang out and talk to Gentiles. He dared to eat meals with sinners. Who'd that offend? The Essenes, right? But by Jesus' very own actions, he says, look, you're wrong. My kingdom is not gonna come to this earth through some obscure, withdrawn religious subcultures. Same deal with the Sadducees. Their co-opted approach to Rome was not even close to the way that Jesus intended his kingdom to break into this world. One day Jesus took a question. You can read this in Luke chapter 20. Jesus, what's your opinion? Is it right or is it not right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar? Do we have to pay tax to Caesar or not? You know this is a trick question. They're trying to trap Jesus into saying something that would be used for his arrest. Either way, it's lose-lose. If he says yes, he's gonna be despised for giving in to Rome. If he says no, it could cost him his life. And what's Jesus say? He says, hey guys, show me the coin that you pay the tax to Caesar with. He's standing with a group of people. They all scratch around. They find one of these Roman coins. Interesting, isn't it, that Jesus didn't have one of those coins in his own pocket. They hand it to him and he holds it up and he says, whose image is that? Whose inscription is that on this coin? Whose was it? Caesar's, it's Caesar's. What's he say? Well, then give to Caesar what's his. Give to Caesar what's his and give to God what's God's. And there's like this, hushed tone that comes over the crowd. Ooh, burn, gotcha. That was not the answer that people were expecting. But what's Jesus mean? What he means is that there's things that are Caesar's, yes. And there's things that are God's. There's things that are Caesar's and there's also things that are not Caesar's. There are things that actually only belong to God and the kingdom of Rome is a very far and very distant cry from the kingdom of God, not even close. And you boil all that all down and you add it all up and Jesus is not just a revolutionary, but he's an incredibly dangerous revolutionary dangerous and revolutionary because Jesus' way of the kingdom of God breaking in was so very countercultural, so countercultural, he like gathers all of his followers around, gets them in real close, like circle up, guys, come on, get in here, and here's what he says, here's what we're gonna do, guys, listen close, here's what we're gonna do, we don't have any money, we don't have any clout, we don't have any status, we don't have any buildings, we don't even have any soldiers, which is fine by me, Jesus says, So what we're gonna do is we're gonna tell everyone else that their plan isn't the right plan. The Roman money and power elite, we're gonna tell them that their plan isn't the right plan. All the freedom fighters and the zealots, we're gonna tell them that their plan isn't the right plan. The withdrawers, the collaborators, we're gonna tell them all, look guys, you're headed in the wrong direction and then, come on in real, real close here, and then when they hate us, which is gonna be a whole bunch of them, when they call us names and when they imprison us and they're even, by the way, gonna kill some of us, cool, isn't this gonna be fun? Guess what, guys? We're not gonna fight back. We're not gonna run, we're not gonna hide, we're not gonna give in. Instead, get in, come on, a little closer. Here's what we're gonna do, ready? We're just going to keep loving them. We're just going to keep loving them. 
We're just going to keep inviting them to join us. We'll keep inviting and challenging them to bring the revolution that they're hoping for, that they're working for, that they're praying for. The revolution of the kingdom of God will just keep inviting them to bring the kingdom of God, but to bring it my way, Jesus says. Only my way, not their way. And they're like, whoa, that's quite a plan, Jesus. And see, the way of Jesus' revolution, the kingdom of God breaking into this planet, it happens to be remarkably similar to the revolution that Brene Brown talks about, that she closes this book called Rising Strong that we've been working our way through. And so by way of review, there's three pieces to Rising Strong. There's three pieces to Rising Strong out of the moments when we find ourselves face down in the mud and the blood and the dust of the arena. Because look, if you're brave enough, often enough, you're going to fall, right? You are, I am, you probably have at one time or another. I sure have one time or another. Seven, 12, 42 times I have. Rising strong starts with the reckoning, doesn't it? This moment when you realize that you're emotionally hooked by something that's happened in your world and then you get real curious about what's behind and what's underneath and what's around that emotion. Curiosity is triggered whoa, why'd that get me like that? Wasn't expecting that. That came out of nowhere. Then after you reckon, you go a layer deeper and what do you do? You rumble with that emotion. You maybe pull out your journal, you put on paper your SFD, stormy first draft, whatever you want to call it. You put on paper the story that you're making up about yourself. Remember this. And then you invite Jesus into all of that. And you invite Jesus to reveal the delta. You invite Jesus to reveal, remember, the difference between the story that you're telling yourself and what Jesus holds to be true about you. And you rumble. Jesus rumbles. And a couple of weeks ago, we all texted in the stories that we're making up about ourselves. Do you remember this? And you remember how those screens back here just scrolled and scrolled and scrolled with all that stuff, all those stories that we're making up about ourselves. Unreal stuff hit those screens. Unreal stuff. And you know what, though, about all that stuff? None of that stuff is the stuff that Jesus holds to be true about you, all of the I'm not good enoughs and all the I'll never measure ups and all the I'm just a failures that hit the screen, that's not even close to what Jesus Christ says is true about you, not even close. And Jesus Christ, this radical revolutionary, the kingdom of God architect and the kingdom of God bringer, his kingdom breaks into this world the way he intends it to break into this world, every single time we say, here's the punchline right here, ready for this, look, Jesus, here I am. You, Jesus, you have at me. You have at my heart. You rumble with me at the level of my heart, the level of my soul, and you, Jesus, through this process of rumbling, you change me. You change whatever you need to change right here. Whatever, Jesus, you gotta do in me, Jesus, you do it, you have at it. You, you do heart surgery, Jesus. You change me. That's the kingdom of God coming to planet earth in the way that Jesus Christ intends for it to come to planet earth. And we hear that and we go like, well, that's pretty anticlimactic. That doesn't seem very revolutionary. 
That doesn't seem to me like it's gonna bring any kind of kingdom of God to the planet. But see, remember, when it comes to the kingdom of God, everything is not as it appears. Because remarkably, when Jesus Christ rumbles with us in here in needed way, when Jesus Christ does the heart surgery that only he can do, when Jesus Christ does radical things like change our views and our perceptions and our understandings, when Jesus Christ digs out the sin and the junk and the baggage and the damage, there's this incredible shift that happens in us that dramatically changes the way that we're able to relate to the world all around us. It shifts And it shifts because with God's help and by God's grace, we look inward and we invite and we ask Jesus, check this out, to change me first. Start right here. And that, friends, is the revolution of the kingdom of God that Jesus intends to bring, which brings the kingdom of God in and through your life right here to planet Earth through every single little thing, big thing, in-between thing that Jesus does in you and me first. The kingdom of God isn't gonna come through violence. It's not gonna come through seclusion and withdrawal. It's not gonna come through our assimilation. It is, however, going to come through Jesus Christ changing each one of us at the level of our hearts one by one by one by one by one in an ongoing, nonstop, all the time kind of way. The same thing that Psalm 139 has in view. Search me, O God. Know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. That is the rumble that leads to the revolution that Jesus has in mind for his church, for us, his followers, that brings the kingdom of God to the planet through us. And this is oh so revolutionary. So revolutionary. Because there were a bunch of people that thought the kingdom of God was going to come. They thought that the revolution that Jesus was talking about was gonna break in through the way that other people live their lives. That was some people's thinking. Through the way that other people live their lives. A bunch of people in Jesus Christ's day thought that. They made it all about what everyone else did or didn't do. And in the very same way, a whole bunch of people today do that exact same thing. They make the kingdom of God breaking into this world all about the conduct, the behavior, the spirituality, the whatever of everyone else. Pointing out others' flaws, others' weaknesses, others' sin when Jesus is like, whoa, 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 wait just a minute, stop the press, that's not it. My revolution, my kingdom is not going to break into this world through you or you or you or you trying to do sin management on other people, not even close. Instead, Jesus says, this is my way. And I'm gonna paraphrase Psalm 139, this text. Let me search you, Jesus says, and know your heart. Let me test you talking to you, not like the person beside you, not the person who you're thinking of right now, you, and know your anxious thoughts. Let me, Jesus says, point out anything in you right here that offends me, Jesus talking, and let me, again, Jesus talking, lead you along the path of everlasting life. It's right here. It's right here. But we know the deal. 
how much easier is it to hold the mirror up in front of someone else and point out their sin and their baggage and their issues and their flaws and their conduct than it is to hold up our own lives before the Lord and turn him loose to rumble in us in the same way he talks about in Psalm 139. Let's be candid. It is infinitely easier to look at other people's stuff than it is our own, right? Really, who wants to face their own stuff? I don't really. I don't really. Who wants to face their own sin? I don't really. Who wants to face their own baggage? I don't really either. Who wants to face their own damage? I don't want. Who wants to turn Jesus loose in them to rumble with all of that? Honestly, a whole bunch of days, I don't want to do that. Why? Well, because it's hard, really hard. It's unpredictable, incredibly unpredictable. It's very often very, very slow work, glacial work. And so you see, it's a whole lot less invasive to look at all the other people around you and go, man, they'd better solve that, fix that, change that, lose that, or, or else... So I can look at my wife and I go, man, she sure needs to fix that, change that, stop that. I'm not saying that there's anything whatsoever that she actually needs to do that with a hypothetical, purely, for instance, example. Okay, deal? It's really true. Or I can say the same thing about my kids. Man, they sure need to stop that, fix that, change that, right? We can say that stuff about any person in our lives, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether it's in our extended family, whether it's in our neighborhood, even people in our church, right? We're like, boy, that sermon sure was for them over there. Hope they heard that. Listen up. But see, the revolution of the kingdom of God breaking into this world through your life and my life happens. Get this, another punchline here. When it doesn't matter, when it doesn't matter that the people around me have stuff that they could take up with the Lord, whether it's my wife or my kids or anyone in my life, because instead, see, the kingdom of God breaks into this world when I've allowed and I've invited and I've opened myself to Jesus Christ, asked him to rumble with me right in here, and he's sorted or at least is in the process of sorting all my stuff in such a way that whether anyone in my world works on any of their stuff with the Lord or not, check this out, I'm I'm content. I'm fine. What they do or what they don't do doesn't affect me. It doesn't disrupt me. It doesn't get a rise out of me. It doesn't upset me. Sure, I might and I do get real sad for them because in my view, they're missing out on the abundant life that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead to bring and give to them. That bums me out. It should bum all of us out. But they get to choose. They get to choose. Is the kingdom of God going to come through their life or is it not? And that's the choice that every single one of us gets to make with the Lord every single day of our lives. The moment our feet hit the floor in the morning, that's the choice. And so Journey, I want you to envision us, every single one of us making that choice every single day. Can you imagine that? 
Waking up every morning and saying, Jesus, you have at my heart. You rumble with me right in here. You change whatever you need to change in me, whatever you need to do in me, whatever you need to dig out, root out, prune off. You have at it heart surgery, all you want, Jesus. And just imagine if a couple of thousand people, all of us went and lived that out every single day. Because by the way, some of you know this harsh reminder, this ain't like a one and done deal either, right? You don't just ask Jesus to rumble with you Psalm 139 fashion just once and then, oh, I'm all done, Uh uh-uh. It's every single day deal. Jesus, you have it my heart. You rumble with me in here, the level of my heart, my soul. You change whatever you need to change in me. Whatever Jesus you need to do in me, Jesus, you do it. Please do it, because I don't want to be, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be like I was yesterday. I don't want to wake up 10 years from now and go, holy cow, nothing in my life has changed. I'm just the same. I don't want to be that guy. And I can't even begin to imagine how a revolution of the kingdom of God would invade this town and this valley and this state and this country if we, just we in this room right now, went out and lived that out. It would be so utterly spectacular. Can't even describe it. And so let's try it, shall we? Let's try it. Let's go do this. Not because of us, but for the glory of God. For the bringing of his kingdom through me, through our lives, through you and through your lives. Amen? Amen. Let's close. Jesus Christ, God in heaven. Oh, how we long for your kingdom to break in through us. Not because we're special, certainly you say we are. Not because we're chosen, though you also say we are. But Jesus, because we're yours. Because we're your kids. We're your children, sons and daughters of the most high God. And you say, look, I want to seed and I want to bring my kingdom of God right through you. And so let us together say we want to be a part of that, Jesus Christ. We don't want to miss out on that, Jesus Christ. And so together, corporately, as well as individually, we say, here we are, Jesus. Rumble in us change in us what needs to be changed, root out the sin that needs to be rooted out, prune what needs to be pruned we say Jesus do heart surgery in us please and do it in such a way that your kingdom will come here on earth just as it is in heaven. Make stuff down here, Jesus. Work like stuff up there for your glory, for your namesake, for your fame, for your renown, King Jesus. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. 
If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.